Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The View from the Lane. With your help, I might add, the soon-to-be multi-award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Uh, joining me, your host, Danny Kelly, are a whole host themselves of athletic folk, uh, Jack Pitbrook, James Moore, and Seb Stafford-Bluer. Um, it's only January 11th, and Spurs have done their business early. Um, Timo Werner is now officially a Spurs player, and a deal has been agreed for Radu Dragoshin. We'll discuss both these players in depth in today's show, and we'll look ahead to a huge game at Old Trafford against Manchester United on Sunday. Once again, before we begin today's show, we must remind you that we are defending our crown of best team podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. Um, head over to our Twitter page, at VFTL Podcast, for all the details on how to vote. Um, listener Liam wrote in to tell us, uh, he and his mum voted for us. More of this, please. Get your relatives involved. Get them to vote for the podcast. We must retain this title. All right. Um, they voted early, um, and we're, so have Spurs done their business. Charlie pointed out, Charlie Eckershire, very much of this parish, um, in what I thought was a brilliant tweet, to be honest. Um, Spurs could have two new January signings making a debut on Sunday. That would be as many January signings making their Spurs debuts in January as in the previous 12 years combined. Now, that says something about the difficulty January window. It says something about Daniel Levy's propensity for leaving it late, but it was good. Um, we'll come on to Dragon Scene soon. But says Seb is here, um, let's chat more about Timo Werner. We all know he didn't live up to expectations at Chelsea, apart from starting in and winning the Champions League. Um, but how has he fared since going back to Leipzig? It's been okay, Danny. I don't think there's been a, a triumphant renaissance, really. He scored nine times in the Bundesliga in 2022-23. I feel like he's a little bit of a victim of circumstance because he signed to play for Dominico Tedesco. Tedesco left the club a few weeks after he arrived in August 2022, replaced by Marco Rosa. And also, he came into a team where, at the end of the year, it was always expected that the side would be dismantled and repaired and like, rebuilt. And that's kind of what happened. Guardiola left. Nkunku left, of course, Sobosly left, Connie Lima left. And I think Werner in that context is a little bit of a placeholder. He came back, it obviously was a comfort zone for him. But then in the summer, uh, in came Lewis Appender, in came Benjamin Sesko, both of whom probably, you know, are really more in, in Leipzig's long-term thinking. Appender has been excellent since he arrived and has uh, rightfully kept his place on the side. Yusuf Polson has had a little bit of a renaissance, so he's been getting many minutes. And Sesko is, I think, regarded, you know, not just at Leipzig, but across Europe as one of the, the, the best all-round forwards in the making. And so Werner, Werner's kind of found himself as, as a man without a position because he's, he's not going to occupy one of the, the two forward spots. Also, uh, Marco Rosa's formation, his 4-2-2-2 formation, 
has two number 10s rather than any wingers. And Werner doesn't really have the game to, to fit in there. So, yeah, just, just in the wrong place at the wrong moment, I think, Danny. Okay, listen, thanks for that. So we'll come back to you in a minute about, about Bayern Munich and Eric Dyer. Um, Jack, where do you sit on the on the Werner issue? Uh, I think I'm on the I'm on the pro pro signing Werner side of the argument. Certainly relative to James, uh, I know that James has been um, not impressed with my with my pro Werner take. That's just not true. That's not true. Sorry, if I've mischaracterised James's view, I apologise. Um, I don't have incredibly high expectations about Werner. I don't think he's going to come in and score. I mean, how many Premier League goals do you think Werner's going to score in the second half of this season? Four. Four. That's what I said. On that my sounds day. about right. And two, and two in the cup. And that was before the draw. And I, I'll stick. I'll stick with that. He's getting two goals against Manchester City. I mean, look, as Seb just said, he's a, he's a system component, and I think Tottenham need a system component right now. I, I mean, what you know, is it the Burnley game? Obviously, last on Friday, and watching them, it was just so obvious that they needed another forward, uh, particularly with. I mean, obviously, they should have got another forward in the summer. Perisic is never going to play for Spurs again. Solomon uh, is injured at the moment, and I don't think he's going to be you know, a huge player for the movement when he is fit. Um, Son is away until probably the maybe even the middle of February. Johnson, I think, is, is having to play every game at the moment, but I don't imagine that was really the plan. Uh, and Richarlison, I know he's just had his best run for Spurs, but he was really bad on Friday. And um, just watching Richarlison and Johnson struggling in that game, I just thought, obviously, they need somebody else. Obviously, they need somebody else, particularly somebody who is experienced at the top level, who knows the Premier League, who is used to playing in these kind of um, aggressive, high up the pitch, pressing systems. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm sure people who, who really study these things could say there's lots of differences between how, say, Postacoglu plays and Nagelsmann played at, at RB Leipzig. But I, I think the role that Werner will be asked to play for Tottenham probably isn't radically different from this kind of roles that he's been asked to play in the past with some success. You know, whether that's out on the left or through the middle, I imagine you're probably more likely to see him out on the left in the next few weeks with Richarlison through the middle. And so I think on that basis, as someone, I think Charlie called him a plug-and-play option, which I, I think is exactly right, as someone who can come straight in. This poor man, he's been called a component. It was oven-ready, oven I think that's what he said. <laughs> I'm a system component on this podcast. There's no shame in being a system component. No, you're not. You're entirely here for your for your glamour and your, and your personality. Trust me. A luxury item. Yeah. Um, so on that basis, I think it kind of works. You know, of course, I'm sure, of course, wouldn't it be nice if Tottenham could go and buy, I don't know, Victor Ozerman in the January transfer window? It's not going to happen. It's obviously not going to happen. And Spurs needed someone they could get in quickly, I think. So, yeah, I think it's fine. It's not hugely glamorous, but I think it's fine. All right, so James. In what way have you been um, maligned by this representation of your being against the Werner. And incidentally, I'm, I'm loving the idea that he's going to get two goals against Manchester City because in that case, Spurs got a decent chance of winning, obviously. Well, no, no, that's not what I've said. I said he's going to get two goals in the FA Cup. And you saw my WhatsApp message after the draw. I said it was a good draw. I think it's a good draw. And we'll, we can come back onto that later at the time. Yeah, hang on, I, I, need, I need to re recover myself first from the idea that's a good draw. But okay, I'll go along with it for now. Well, you want to play good teams early, don't you? No, I want to play bad teams all the way to winning it. But you're not going to do that. You're never going to do that. Yeah, like you want to, you know, people going about Arsenal playing Aston Villa and 
the Harley and FA Cup finals, but they beat Liverpool and Man City and Chelsea and whatever on the way. So you've got you've got to beat the good teams. You can't do it any other way. Uh, and it's better to lose in the fourth round. I've seen Spurs lose loads of semi-finals. You can do it another way. You can draw rubbish teams all the way and play another team that stumbled to the final. There is another way of doing it. Oh, okay, well, I'm sure that is statistically possible, but we've gone way off track. You've taken us off track again. Yeah, I, I actually think I think you threw up as a smokescreen for your views about Werner. Team my Werner, but I agree with what Jack said. I I, don't, I think it's it is uh, there's a possibility for this signing we will work very well, and the way it will work well is if he elevates those players that Jack mentioned as underperforming. So Richarlison to an extent, Brennan Johnson. The other thing, of course, is it'll probably mean that we'll see Johnson play on the right while Son's away, which I would suggest has been where he's performed better up to now. Obviously, that's where he set up those goals for Richarlison in the last few weeks. And assuming Kulisevsky then plays in midfield, which given we think Lacelsa now may miss some matches. So actually, that will probably slot together quite well. Like I'm not, I, like, I never said it was a bad signing definitively. I said I had my concerns about it, but I said I was also very open to the possibility that it might may work very well. People have chosen to focus on the negative when they also offered plenty of positives. Seb, I'll leave, I'll leave the last word on 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 on, uh, on this gentleman, Averna, to you. Um, and that you will not be dragged in front of the court of public opinion if you turn out to be wrong. Um, what do you think would, would represent a good return for for Werner in terms of both stats and just culturally um, between now and the end of the season? And do you think he'll achieve it? If you offered me five goals in the Premier League, if you offered me a little bit of impact from the bench, I think one of the things I noticed over Christmas was just how how jaded a lot of Premier League defences were and how susceptible many of them seemed to be to just direct football. And if there's one thing that Werner should help a team play, it's, it is direct football. So you wonder whether he can exploit some fatigue. Attitude-wise, I think you just... I don't think there'll be any problems because I, I think you're getting a highly motivated player who... I would still say is an outside has an outside chance at best of making the Germany national team squad for the European Championship, but he's motivated towards that aims. He'll be there. He'll be professional. He'll be happy with whatever minutes he can get. But he he played barely three hundred minutes for Leipzig this season, so he's going to get an increase on that just because of the scarcity within the in the Tottenham squad and because of the difficulties with injury and Afcon. And so I think if you, this is the main difference, right? Like at Chelsea. Success was right. Thirty goals, a Premier League title, and a Champions League semi-final at best, uh, at worst, and you know that's that's success, right? As far as it is, be a foil, allow the team, you know, put some some grease in the Tottenham gears, help them, you know, when they when they transition across the first six yards of the pitch, instead of those little slowdown moments where I don't know, Brennan Johnson cuts in from midfield and plays a pass, you know, sideways. Werner doesn't really have that gear. He plays at one speed. He goes forward, and. As long as he is that player, as long as he's faithful to his kind of archetype as a footballer, I think it's a it'll work. But then, you know, you're not you're not the question is, can he be is, is not can he be the, the player upon whose back Spurs ride to the Champions League final like next season? Because I, I don't think he's gonna stay beyond the summer. I think he's just there to, you know, play a little role. And uh, I think he'll do it well. He'll be doing his Timo Werner thing, bearing, running at 100 miles an hour at the ball at his feet, heading towards the opposition um, penalty area. He'll be surprised to see Udogi undertaking him on the inside, won't he? But Sam, while we still have you, of course, um, as we speak, Eric Dyer, um, and we'll talk more about Eric on, on Monday when we have a little bit more time, I hope, after reflecting on Spurs' huge victory at uh, Old Trafford. Um, Eric Dyer is in Munich for his um, 
medical. Tell us about that deal. What is it that um, that Bayern see in Eric? You know that clearly Postecoglou doesn't. Yeah, it, it makes more sense than it might seem because one of the, the conversations, a very, very, very tedious conversation that has surrounded Bayern all season has been the absence of a, like a, a stopper at the base of their midfield. So don't be surprised if you see Dyer kind of uh, reprise his Pochettino role a little bit there. Uh, they're very good with the ball. They've had huge issues defending transitions all season. Whenever they face a team who have pace, who can move the ball accurately and vertically, which, let's be fair, is most of them in Germany because that's kind of the, the house style in the Bundesliga. They seem to have big, big issues. And I think Dyer, Dyer makes sense because he can cover a range of positions. He's low cost. Also, I think clearly he's not the top of Bayern's list of, of preferred options. At the same time, clubs around Europe understand that Bayern have got a bit of a desperation around this, this issue because they've been going on about it for six months. There isn't really anybody involved at the club who hasn't had their say. That includes even like past players like Lothar Mateus in the media going on about the need for holding six and you know spend some money. If you're negotiating with Bayern, you'd have a field day, absolute field day. So Dyer's a smart bit of business. Dyer is, uh, is being allowed to go because Spurs have reached an agreement. I know um, uh, people have said, here we go, but we have not yet seen him sign. But he, I think he'll be playing at Old Trafford, but... Uh, I reached an agreement with Genoa to sign a centre-back, Radu Dragosheen. Um, let's get some, uh, some further expert opinion then uh, about Dragosheen's time in Italy with our Italian football writer, James Horncastle. Dragosheen will be known to various different people at Tottenham. His teammates, for example, uh, Rodrigo Bentancur and Dejan Kulusevski, they were teammates at Juventus. He was signed by someone else known to Tottenham. Fabio Peratici. Peratici identified him in Romania uh, as a teenager. Dragozin comes from a family of Olympians, so you can imagine his physicality, his athleticism, it's in his genes. He had a number of loan spells when he was at Juventus, first to Sampdoria and Salernitana. He went back to Juventus, he wanted to fight for his place, but there wasn't a pathway for him. And so he was sold to Genoa. He goes down to Serie B, plays more more games than anybody else, more minutes than anybody else, gets them up, and yeah, at the moment they're in, in mid-table, more or less. He's very tall. Giladino, the general coach, you know, likes to use him in attacking set pieces, believes he should be able to score more goals. Certainly contributed goals last season in their promotion run. Has mainly played in the back three, good in the air. Good at getting blocks in. I'd say he's used to playing in a defence which defends deep. How he will take to playing in a back four with a high line remains to be seen. And also, you know, can he improve on the ball? Because, you know, I think at the moment the emphasis is on his physical attributes. But, you know, certainly, you know, Giorgio Chiellini, when he was at Juventus, Chiellini uh, was excited by Dragozin, saw elements of his own game in Dragozin's, saw someone who was very eager to learn, good mentality. And I think that's the thing with, with Dragozin is that maybe he is still a little bit raw in that he's got all these incredible physical attributes. But like Chiellini, year after year after year, with the right coaching, he can improve and become a top centre-back. Yeah, James Horncastle there, um, summing up the time that Dragosin has been, well, most of, well, all of his professional career has been in Italy. Jack, tell us a little bit about how this deal happened. I mean, as always with these things in January, lots of moving parts, um, Bayern's late intervention. Tell us about the deal. Yeah, it was. it's kind of the polar opposite, really, of the Werner deal, in the sense that I think the Werner deal is the kind of deal that 
Tottenham and all clubs would want all their transfers to be like. And this, you know, nobody really had any wind of it until it ha- until it was basically done. Um, whereas this has clearly been a bit of a saga, dragged out. I mean, not even over a huge span of time, but over the first, well, so 11 days and counting of January. Uh, it's very much played out in public. Um, I believe there's issues with, you know, various different representatives of the player. Um, I don't think that anyone, I don't think they were expecting Bayern Munich to come in like they did late on in the day. Um, we're slightly indebted to the fact that um, Dragosheen's long-term advisor, Florian Menea gave some incredibly candid interview to a Romanian website on basically within seemingly within minutes of the deal being done, talking about how you know they'd been up all night deciding between Tottenham and Bayern. This would have been, I think, on Monday night or sorry, no, on Tuesday night. Um, because you know, when the Bayern offer came in, the Bayern offer was for more money than, than what Tottenham had offered. And he said, I think he said, where's the effect of, we, we know it's very strange to turn down Bayern Munich, but we had decided to go to Tottenham. The implication is there's more playing time at Tottenham than at Bayern. And, uh, you know, they, I think they were on their way to the airport and then they gave Bayern the news on in the morning that they would, they would in fact not be going there and they, they would be sticking to Tottenham. And he also points out that... Um, Tottenham worked very late that night to get the deal done. So I think that would have been specifically Daniel Levy and Johan Langer, the technical d- director. So yeah, a lot of work gone into it from Tottenham. It probably has been more complicated than they might have expected on the 1st of January, but it looks like they've got there in the end. So James, um, and of course, the, the, the part of the answer here is we didn't know this fellow was 10 days ago. Um, are you happy with this signing? Yeah, I mean, that definitely is true. Um yeah, it feels like, uh, to use a very football phrase, he's the profile of player that Spurs should be looking at. So clearly someone highly regarded in Italy and in Romania um, and of an age where you would expect his kind of level to rise over the next few years. I mean, it sounds like he has all the kind of attributes for a possible centre-back. I know there's been some question about his distribution from the back. But I think it's been quite widely said Genoa are not a team who play that kind of football. So he hasn't really had the opportunity to kind of display that too much uh, at first team level yet. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like a good one. I'd be lying if I said that I knew loads about him. But, I mean, having another centre-back fit and available, despite it now seemingly coincided with Van der Ven and possibly even Romero being fit as well, is obviously going to be a pretty big, significant thing for the second half of the season and beyond. This this I wouldn't have been able to say a couple of years ago. Um, it is fair to say, is it not, uh, so you can all answer this, that Spurs' acquisitions in the transfer market over the past two and a half years have not been stellar names, but they've largely, and of course you can point to Jed Spence and others, have largely been hugely successful. I mean, look at the back five. Um, Vicario, Porro, Van der Ven, Romero, um, and Destiny Adoggi, we all think they're fantastic players. I think only Romero arrived really with any real um, sort of fanfare and belief that he was a great player. Benson Kerr, Kulusevski, um, you could say Richarlison and, and Brennan Johnson, the jury's still out. But overall, I'm, uh, I, I, I trust 
that this lad has got great potential, said because Spurs appear to me to be getting more transfers right than wrong, which most Premier League clubs can probably not say. I think the, the sort of the theory is that generally you get a sort of 50-50 chance of a good deal. Every time one gets done, it's like flipping a coin. Spurs' Spurs business over the past few years has actually been really good. Like Vicario is the one that I think if you look back at the kind of the reception of that deal and the kind of response to it in the context of not perhaps signing David Rea, a lot of negativity and he's been absolutely brilliant. The doggy has been wonderful. Pedro Porro, like from someone who was almost dismissed immediately upon arriving by some of the pundits on British TV. And podcasts. <laughs> he looks like a wonderful footballer. And it's really interesting also because it feels like beyond just talent ID, it seems like things are being done quicker and more efficiently than they have been in a really long time. We talked right at the beginning of the podcast about the speed at which these reinforcements arrived in January. It feels like in Tottenham windows uh, from bygone eras, it would have dragged on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we'd still be sitting here on January 31st at 10.30 wondering, you know, where is the centre half that we need? Where is the where is the winger? Where is the forward? And now, you know, regardless of how these players perform, the option is there early in the window. Manager is able to work with them. I think that's a big part of it. Like you have the training time there as well. And yeah, it's 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 really nice. It's actually it's such a refreshing change of pace. I've got a piece which we've just published this morning about Fabio Paratici and the extent to which he's been effectively rehabilitated over the last nine months. And even though he is not an employee of Tottenham, he resigned last April, he's still in the background as a consultant offering offering advice on, on signings. And I think one of the reasons why he's been rehabilitated, one of the reasons why I think people don't really care so much about the the Juventus scandals now is simply because the players have been so good. You know, even when he quit, you know, how, how many Paratici players were there in the team? Romero, Kulusevski, Benton Kerr. But that was kind of it, really. Whereas this season, on top of those three, obviously, you know, we all know that they're brilliant players. You've got Adogi and Saar, who were bought initially and then went, went out on loan, who are now in the first team. They've both been fantastic all season. They've started every game and fit. They've both just been secured to long-term new contracts. And then on top of that, you've got the, the arrivals from, from the summer. You know, uh, Vicario and Van der Fen, uh, Puratici advised on both of those. Madison, Pat Puratici personally pushed for and, and convinced him to come and join Tottenham. And so really the whole, it's kind of Paratici's team now, in a, far even more than it was when he actually worked for Tottenham or worked for Tottenham in an official capacity. And uh, I do think even though we all, you know, there was a lot of criticism for the whole Paratici situation last year. I thought, you know, we all said on this podcast and I wrote how badly it reflected on the club. And it was just embarrassing to have Tottenham dragged, you know, Tottenham's name associated with, with all this. Given the the number of good players that he's bought for Tottenham, for for you know affordable prices, which is the one thing that Tottenham had really struggled with, I think, over the the sort of five or so years before then, you can completely see why Tottenham would be willing to associate themselves with him, even if there is you know a bit of reputational damage around the edges. His record is just very very good. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and James Moore. The Athletic are here with me as well. Uh, just a little reminder that on this very day in 1975, Alfie Kahn netted a hat-trick in a 5-2 win at Newcastle. Third goal at afternoon scored by John Duncan was Spurs' 4,000th in Football League. And I only mention this because um, when we first started to become astonished by the way James Madison plays, the player I compared him to, and it's not fair on the others, they didn't see him play, was Alfie Kahn, um, who had a similar swagger and um, skill level um, if not all was supported by the best players around him. We all takes us now to Manchester United at the weekend. Um, it's a huge game, this, I think, because if Spurs win, it takes Manchester United out of the out of the European places equation for the rest of the season. In fact, I would say if Spurs win at Old Trafford, um, it's more likely that Chelsea will challenge for European places than Manchester United. But you have to win these games. Jack, you said on the Athletic Football podcast earlier this week, you weren't expecting a good game here. Why is that? Look, United are obviously not very good. And Tottenham are not playing very well. You know, Tottenham haven't been playing well for a while. For reasons that we've talked about, they've only, you know, they've only got half the team to choose from at the moment. The players have looked exhausted, I think, because it's the same guys playing every week. Um, so I'm not expecting either team to be at their best. Maybe it will turn out to be a kind of you know, low quality, high drama game with lots of goals at both ends. But I actually think I'd probably bet on the opposite. I think it will probably be a bit ugly. Um, I mean, I certainly think Tottenham can win. Of course they can win. Um, But I, yeah, I kind of have a, I'm not expecting a great spectacle. I mean, United's defensive record, despite all of the kind of mockery of their defenders and goalkeeper, it's been pretty good, right? I mean, they've considered 27 goals in the Premier League, which is like, just from a cursory glance, the same as Aston Villa in second, and a couple of fewer than Spurs. So, you know, despite them having a largely farcical season, they've been sort of unspectacular. They've scored, I mean, they've scored, I mean, they've scored fewer goals than pretty much everyone else, right? I mean, it wasn't that long ago they'd scored fewer goals than Sheffield United, or the same number of goals as Sheffield United, maybe. Yeah, they, they, tend, they tend to win or lose, don't they? So that um, they're... they're their kind of seesaw of a season uh, with the media and all the rest of it is down to the fact they hardly have a draw. They win or lose. And then, of course, if you're Manchester United, that means you're either on the verge of getting it right or on the verge of the manager getting the sack week by week by week. Um, the, uh, there are some stats I want you to hear here. Uh, Spurs are looking to complete their first league double over United since the 89-90 season. Um, of course, they won 2-0 early, very early in the season in August at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, however, their record, um, it says here in front of me, no team has won more home games against an opponent in Premier League history than Manchester United's 24 against Tottenham. I mean, that's swayed slightly by them both having been in the Premier League for every season of the Premier League, right? Uh, so you would kind of expect it to be... That is the smallest crumb of comfort I think I've ever seen arrive on my plate. Yeah. 
You think it's a statistical anomaly, do you? I don't think it's a statistical anomaly, but it's always going to be Spurs or Everton, maybe a sort of Villa or Newcastle or someone who has dipped out of the league or West Ham against Manchester United, Liverpool or Arsenal, isn't it? You could take the opposite view, James, and say Spurs have had a lot of opportunities to do well at Manchester United and have taken very few of them. I have to say, it has felt like they've done reasonably well there in the last maybe decade or so. I mean, maybe that's just going back to two back-to-back wins in, what, like 2012 and 2013 or whatever it was. And in Dombele scoring in the first minute. The Lucas Moura game. That's four in 11 probably, isn't it? So that's not awful. That's good. Um, who's going to play? Well, come on, how they might play. Um, Charlie reported yesterday um, that Romero is pushing to start against United. Are we buying this? Uh, I think he's back in training. Um, clearly, he would want to start. I I don't think they can play Dragashin. I think you can't play. It feels you weird. Can't yeah, play, like someone. I mean, he hasn't. He won't. He will have had what at most one day of training. You can't have one. I mean, like, well, what do I know about the demands of being a professional footballer? But I don't see how you can get up to speed on the build up. The, the the set pieces, the marking, you know, the defensive line, all that stuff in one day. Um, so I think my guess is that they would err on the side of the guys who know the system and aren't fit rather than the guy who is fit and doesn't know the system. Um, so I think it's probably likely you'd see one of Romero and Van der Fen alongside uh, Royale, I guess it would have to be, because we're, we're still waiting to hear on the extent of Davis's hamstring injury, which he picked up against Burnley. Um, you know, th- there's no solid news on that, but uh, Postacoglu will obviously be asked about it at his press conference Friday lunchtime. Yeah, I mean, uh, we sadly, sorry, it's good for Spurs that we will be soon dispensing with um, uh, the peculiarity of four fullbacks playing across the back four. I have enjoyed, to some extent, the North London defensive crisis bingo that's been going on, where it's ended up with Arsenal playing a line of centre-backs and Spurs playing a line of full-backs. Uh, is Van der Ven actually fit to start then, Jack? He was obviously on the bench, wasn't he, against Burnley? So, assuming no setback, I would just, yeah, he must be fit, fit enough, even though clearly he's not he's not played a game for two months. So I imagine that if the concern would be about, you know, match sharpness rather than overall physical fitness. Yeah, I guess uh, your sense, that I, you know, you don't know the demands of, on professional footballers, nor do I, because um, I'd be more inclined to to, to let Dragashin play. At least he's in the rhythm of playing football. Um, and it, the simplistic part of my mind says, you know, learning the Spurs system for a defender is pretty easy stuff. Um, get up to the halfway line as soon as you can. Um, and that uh, opposition free kicks line up for eight yards outside your own penalty area and hope that they get that they fall offside. That may be an unsophisticated view of what Spurs are trying to do. I mean, it definitely is, isn't it? I mean, I think you don't have to get that high line massively wrong to concede a comically bad goal, I would say. Particularly against the team. I mean, the one thing United do have is pace to exploit those kind of situations. So I think, you know, they won't want to, to screw up in, in that aspect against um, against a team with the firepower that Man United do have. Although, and you, you're right to say that, Jack, but um, I actually think this might suit Spurs because United's crowd will insist that, that United come at Spurs. And, you know, although we've really enjoyed um, Spurs, you know, front foot starts and getting after teams, I still think they have the equipment um, Werner may be an addition to this 
to hit people on the break if, if that's if that's the way that the game unfolds, James. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ha- having said, we think Dragashin probably won't play on the basis of not having trained many times. I mean, I think we all think Werner will play, right? It just kind of feels like the front six. Maybe not quite picks itself, but I think given who's missing, like we said earlier, if Kielizewski's going to go back into midfield three, presumably with Benton Kerr and Skip or Hoiberg. Yeah, the midfield is not looking great, is it? Because clearly, I think they're going to have, I agree with James, I think they're going to have to move Kielizewski back there. Um, now, because you know, there's also Le, Le Celso, who... Um, it was reported yesterday has a hamstring issue. He, um, Postacoglu said at the end of the Burnley game that he had some tightness, which they take a look at. But it doesn't sound pos- it doesn't sound optimistic for Lacelso playing at Old Trafford, which means yeah, it's looking like yeah, as James says, Benton Kerr is the six, Kulisevsky, and then one out of Hoyberg and Skip, um, which is probably not the situation that Tottenham would want to be in going into this game. So, l- like we said, it's not going to be. It's far from a first-choice Tottenham team, uh, and that's why my my kind of overall expectations for performance level are probably not that high. But they have, you know, uh, you have to give credit where it's due. I, I agree with you. They haven't played particularly well in recent weeks, but they've got is it five out of six of the last games in all competitions. They've managed to win. Uh, I've actually found great comfort in the fact that they found ways to scrape these wins out because, you know, you don't have to be a genius to work out when they get all the moving parts. What do people call them? Components back. I call them the human beings who wear Spurs shirts. When they get the components back, um, if you add that uh, ability to scrape a result out of the cold, hard ground uh, to the kind of technique and, you know, determination we know some of these players will bring, it actually, the end of January, I'm looking forward to it very, very much indeed. Um, I, I share your view. Uh, Jack, that you know, this is not the glamour encounter that it might have been in many, many of the previous years of the Premier League, or even if both sides were fully fit and at it. The funny thing is, I think we might see, assuming if Van der Ven, Romero are on schedule, and if I mean, we're waiting to hear about Madison's return as well, but I think you know, late January was penciled in for him. And if Dragashin gets up to speed, um, then e- even before the international players start coming back, I think we might see a very different Tottenham team for Manchester City in the Cup than we'll see from for Manchester United in the league. So that that's a, that's probably the the game that people will be focusing on now because that's two weeks after Manchester United game. Yeah, I mean, just look, just looking at it, I and mean, we've t- we talked recently about how excited we are by the prospect of actually having like a kind of full bench of senior players. And just looking at it now, I mean, it, it, even with two new players added to the squad and the possibility of Romero coming back and Van Ven, you're still kind of scrambling around for kind of the last four subs, basically, without La Celso or Veliz. And Davis, of course. I mean, I agree with Jack. I think by the time we get to that City game, obviously, Pazuma, presumably Saar and Son will all still be missing. But by that point, it could at least be starting to feel a bit more like, I mean, touch word that we don't get any other injuries in the meantime. Well, let's hope they get, get some kind of good result there at Manchester United. I think it's, I think it's important. So said, um, Jack, we'll finish with, with your view on the draw for the FA cup. Um, do you share James's view? That it's a really good draw for Spurs. Um, no, I don't. I think, 
an easier draw would have been better. I am quite looking forward to it as a game. I'm a bit... Obviously, City have this terrible record at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Played there quite a lot. Haven't haven't scored. Haven't won. Uh, I don't... Obviously, like, I don't want to be pessimistic, but Tottenham, in all of those games, pretty much, with the possible exception... Actually, frankly, with, with, with the best Tottenham played, I think, in all of those games was, was the first one. Um, the Champions League quarterfinal first leg which was, what, the second game ever to be played in the stadium, second or third, when they were brilliant. And that was really the last... I think that was the last performance under Pochettino where they really looked themselves. You know, they they were sort of physically dominant and aggressive and up for the fight. But generally in those... In the other games that Tottenham have won against Manchester City at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's been fairly... It's been defensive. It's been counter-attacking. They've taken their chances. They've been really efficient and effective and they've made it difficult for City. They've not really played on the front foot. And um, I... But Tottenham obviously playing in a very different way now. We don't really know how, you know, the, how will the sort of Ange ball cope with... How will Ange Ball interact with a home game against Manchester City? It's a really interesting one, and I'm fascinated to to see how it goes. But I'm, uh, yeah, um, it, it, it's not going to be like the Nuno win, the Jose win, the Conte win, and so on. We did see an away game. We did, yeah, we did recently, where it seemed to work. Yeah, they were good that day. Well. I mean, obviously, the difference is going to be almost certainly not having Son, who we know is incredibly clinical, and I think that when you're opening the game up in the way that Spurs do now. Uh, you need to take your chances. All that remains for me to do today um, is to thank Seb for being in with us. That was great. But also, of course, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore uh, for their regular fantastic contribution. Let me remind you as well, the show has its own official home on Twitter at PFTL Podcast or email VFTL at theathletic.com if you've got something you want to say or ask. Um, for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, make sure you sign into the Athletic itself. You can take advantage of the late offer, which is just one ninety nine a month for twelve months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs Pod to subscribe. See you all on Monday, where hopefully we'll be discussing yet another astonishing victory at Old Trafford. Bless you all. Cheers. The Athletic.